Welcome to the Good Divorce Show. Not every divorce needs to end in disaster. It's time to see divorce in another perspective. Here to help with that is your host, Karen McNinney. Hello, listeners. Thank you so much for joining me today on The Good Divorce Show. We are diving into money today, not just any kind of money, the the wisest way to approach our money. We have our very own Pennywise coach, Penny Kid, here today, not an investor, not an advisor, uh, as you would think of a usual financial analyst. She is a financial coach. Uh, Pennywise Coaching is about helping you connect your money, your goals, and your values. And Penny typically helps people create a custom spending plan, whether that's in business, at home, pay off debt, live within your means so you can build wealth for the future that you deserve. That all sounds so delicious. I want a piece of this. Um, Interestingly enough, Penny Kidd was a social worker for 30 years. And I am sure that many of those skills cross over now, as well as really walking the talk in her own life. She now lives a debt-free life, is a mentor to others, ready to achieve financial freedom alongside her as a compassionate coach, educator, and accountability partner um, to individuals and couples. Penny takes the shame and embarrassment out of money. Welcome to the Good Divorce Show, Penny. Thank you. I'm pleased to be here, Karen. Yes. I want to hear a little bit about the bridge between your time as a social worker and actually what you did during that time and what brought you into this field as a financial coach. I get that question a lot. Like, how did you go from being a social worker to finance? Those seem about as opposite as possible because social workers don't tend to make any money and don't like math. So um, (laughs) it's like, how did that happen? Um, but it's really more um, connected than I ever thought when it was happening, right? So I worked in child protection. I started out in adolescent services. So I worked with a lot of juvenile delinquents and um, troubled teenagers, and then spent about 15 years of my career doing family meeting facilitation, really helping families find their voice and um, make the plan around kids' safety and and keeping them more out of the system than in because We know the government doesn't do a really great job raising kids. And so I loved that part of being that neutral person to help people um, create good solutions around kids' safety. And my own journey towards my financial freedom came about when one of my caseworker friends came to me kind of in a hushed tone and said, hey, will you come help me with my money? You seem really good with yours. And we always have more month at the end of the money. And I said, well, I don't think I'm really good with mine, but I pay my bills and balance my checkbook. And she said, well, that's more than I'm doing. So that's a good start. Come help me. So um, we sat down at her kitchen table and went through her numbers and tried to get a rough sense of what she owed and where she spent her money. And most of the questions I asked were answered with, I don't know, whatever I need to. And, you know, give the kids whatever they need. She had two babies under three and two teenagers from a previous marriage and um, was, you know, at about $30,000 worth of debt at the time. And I remember going home that night feeling like self-righteous, like, oh, she's got a lot of debt. And then I went home and looked at mine. That was all very balanced in QuickBooks, Quicken. And uh, it was, I had about, she had 40, I had 30, you know, in, okay. in, in debt. I was like, oh, I guess I'm not really any better than she is. And you know, plus my mortgage. And so 
we were going to read a book and listen. I listened to this guy on the radio and I was like, let's read this. And she said, I don't have time to read a book. I'm mm. barely keeping my head afloat. And if it's not good night moon, I'm probably not going to read it. So <laughs> I said, okay, I'll be the cliff notes and I'll read the book. So we were going to do this together. And then we met two more times. And then unfortunately she was hit and killed by a drunk driver. Oh my heavens. At 42 years old. And I was oh. 40 and her husband was in the car and he suffered a traumatic brain injury and was in and out of comas for three months and rehab and um, kids were all farmed out. And I just, I went to my husband and said, we have to get our act cleaned up because that could be us. Mm. You know, I, we were not that far ahead of her and we were just barely staying afloat of the bills, but we were doing what every American I knew was doing was pair bills and blow the rest. And um, without really a plan. And nobody had really taught me how to create a plan or a budget. And I just knew you were supposed to do a budget, and make your life work. And that didn't work for me. <laughs> what does that mean? And I think you bring up a good point that I, I just want to highlight for our listeners right now. If you're sitting there and and starting to feel a little like, oh no, I don't know how to do this. And oh, you have only have 30,000. I have 80,000 or oh right. gosh, coming out of divorce and digging out the whole, like, this is not a shame-based conversation at all. That's right. Many of us have been there. And the reality is in the same way that I speak to my clients about, if you feel like you're not really great with conflict or difficult conversations or the nuances of relationships, don't beat yourself up. Chances are you've had no training, zero right. education about this. That's right. Is that similar in, in your history? And yeah, totally. Well? You know, and you feel like Nobody talks about money. We have all this shame and baggage around money. And that's why my girlfriend was almost embarrassed to even talk to me about it. But we, nobody around us talked about money. Like this taboo. Yeah. And so, and of course this was 18 years ago or whatever. And so, um, but I just realized that if I don't learn something today, nothing's going to change. If I don't start changing something, you know, that whole definition of insanity about keep doing the same thing and mm -hmm. going to keep getting the same result. So it didn't happen overnight. I think people sometimes when I, when I started paying off my debt and then I would, you know, be so excited, like, Oh, I don't have a car payment anymore. And I don't have any credit card debt anymore. And then I don't have a house payment anymore. People started saying, what do you mean? You don't have a house payment. Mm -hmm. And we were completely debt-free when I was 49. And Congratulations. it was like, yeah, the, all the lifted weight off of my shoulder, but I wasn't financially free. I just didn't have any debt anymore. Right. And, and then I had kids that were about to enter college. <laughs> I was like, well, we didn't plan for that either. So, but I didn't want to go back into debt to put my kids through college. I was watching people sort of sell their souls so their kids could go do whatever they wanted. And I'm like, man, I worked really hard to just get out of debt. I don't want to go back into debt for, and then not know if I could ever retire. And so that became my next, like, thing to focus on. And, and quite honestly, a tough discussion with my husband. And we didn't see eye to eye on that because I just thought my kids could figure it out themselves and put themselves through school like I did. But what I didn't realize was how exponentially more expensive college had become over the years. And um, isn't that the truth? I've got a couple a, headed that way. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> and so but we had tough conversations with our children. And I said, this is what we will pay for. And this is what we won't. You need to go in state so that we can afford it. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, we don't want you to be saddled with this kind of debt that I was seeing by then lots of people burdened with the student loans. And I, you know, 
paid off my student loans and my husband's student loans. And we'd been down that route and we just didn't want to do that. And so, yeah, we were very proud of our kids for working and doing what they had to so that all of us were happy by the time they graduated without any student loans. It's and so, such a gift to launch your gift. children into the world with and not digging out a hole as right. soon as they start their professional right. lives. And I wasn't one of those people with a 529 when I thought about getting pregnant. That, you know, my daughter was in ninth <laughs> grade before we had a dime saved. And it was like, we didn't do everything right. But what we did was learn how to focus on what was important to us. And, yes. you know, the trips and the the cars and the house and the moving and the, all the things start to have a different perspective when you decide this is what's important to me. Might not be to you, but this is what's important to me. The values. And so, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I felt like mean mommy sometimes, but my kids tell me now in their mid to late twenties that it's okay. They still love me. And that, you know, you know, they appreciate <laughs> the fact that I didn't, you know, I didn't let my daughter go to NYU because she was a theater kid and she thought that's where she had to be in New York. And mm-hmm. I said, no, you get your degree here and then you go to New York and that's what she's doing. She's working on Broadway now. So oh, has no student loans. So well done, mom. Yeah. New York's expensive enough without it bringing is. big debt with you. And yep. I was reminded of a, a, a financial advisor, someone with all the letters and fancy things after their names. And yep. she was speaking at a conference and she said, before you put one penny in your college fund for your kids, you have got to maximize your retirement. Right. Because no one's going to give you a scholarship or a Pell Grant to retire. To retire. No one's going to give you a loan to retire. That's your right. kids will figure it out eventually. You borrow your way out of retirement. You cannot. And, and that was just such a paradigm shift and something in our household and family too that we really turn to. And now we're on the heels of sending our first child off to college. And, and I think some of the brainwashing has worked because she's like, I'm going to stay in state. I've got these opportunities, this scholarship, I've got my whole life to go into debt. And that's what grad school's for. And I'm like, good for you. I liken it to when you're on the airplane and they tell you, put your, your face mask on first before you help your child. Mm -hmm. And that's the same thing with retirement and you get your own act together first. And then if you can bless your child, great. Otherwise they can work and they can go slower and they can borrow if they choose to. But I think student loans are the next big um, crisis of our society, but um, parents are are paying off their own parent plus notes in retirement. And yeah, I just, that that's a whole nother, we could probably have a whole nother podcast on that. I'll try to not go down that funny trail. (laughs) Yeah. Well, in the financial coaching arena, um, you know, we're, we're chatting with our audience today who in some way are connected to the story of divorce. Yep. They're either packing the psychic parachute and listening in. Can I afford to get divorced? What would it look like? How will my life change? Maybe they're on the other side of it and they're on the financial recovery. Maybe they're in negotiations right now. Where have you seen couples, individuals kind of get it wrong. Like, let's just start with a nugget of good wisdom as we head into the divorce money conversation. Well, obviously I think, you know, we hear the kind of the platitude about money being the, the major cause of divorce. And you probably have a better sense of that than I do. I don't know that it's easy to just pin that on one thing and say, you know, money caused our divorce or lack of money agreements, but I do think that 
fighting around money is very common in relationships. And mm-hmm. so if that continues to be a problem that can lead towards a divorce, um, I think couples get it wrong when they let one of the two people handle all the money. We did that yes. early on in our relationship where I did everything. And I remember my husband saying, if you died tomorrow, I wouldn't know where our money is because you have such an elaborate system of all these accounts and, you know, three credit unions and two banks and how many whatever's, and they were all spread around. He couldn't even handle the quicken. And um, so that was one of the first things we did on our journey to get out of debt was to simplify our process and have it be something that we both were engaged in because, you know, I had one of those, what I call my mommy meltdowns where I can't do it all. I can't work and be in the school and do the bills and the laundry and the, you know, bawling or whatever. And he's doing the, okay, okay, okay. What can I do? So he took over the bills for a while. And what we realized was that didn't help. It wasn't about Mm. who did it. It was the fact that the other one was checked out and didn't know anything about it. And so um, it really got better when we at least had the conversation on the regular, when we got paid, how much money is going to what place And I could be the one who would nerd out and balance the checkbook or pay the bills, but he needed to be a part of the conversation. And I think that's a lot of um, what contributes to marriages falling apart is the fact that we're not on the same page. We don't have the same goals. We don't talk about it. We weren't raised the same. Oftentimes, you know, you weren't, you don't have even the same money story and the many beliefs are so different. So yes you know, just having those conversations are huge and then get, you know, maybe getting some help to have a mediator that can help you talk a little bit about where did that come from? Why do you think that? Or, you know, um, I want all savings and I don't care about debt or, you know, I need 500 for this and you say 50. I mean, we don't necessarily all think the same. And so my my concern and what I have seen, unfortunately, happen with another number of couples is that one does all the money and the other just says, oh, I'm not good with money. So I, I'll just, you just tell me how much am I allowed to spend? Well, then you've got this parent-child type dynamic instead of partners, right? Oh, that's and so beautifully worded. Yeah. You're supposed it, to be this, you're supposed to be the same equally. You yeah. Know? And even if you know, not everyone's touching the keyboard and inputting the numbers and paying yeah. out the bill. I think you're right. We we need to play to our strengths within our domestic right. relationships. Um, and for those of you listening who are maybe re-entering a second marriage, right? These are great tips of what you might really want to do differently next time around. That's right. And it's it's the co-engagement mm-hmm. that both are watching the numbers and watching the spending. And then having, like you said, the conversation around our value system where mm-hmm. someone's like, I'll, I always have said to my sweetheart, please don't buy me things. Buy me Love a plane language. ticket. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> right. Once you're like, just take me on a trip. Yeah. <laughs> That's do the I... laundry. My husband's still doing the laundry. And I'm like, do the hard work, do the laundry. I'm an acts of service gal. That yes. matters to me way more than a gift. And so when you start realizing that I'm buying you gifts to show you love, and I really just want you to do the laundry, you've missed the boat, right? And you're spending money and I'm resentful because you just spent money on that thing, but you won't do the dishes or something. And getting like, oh, I thought I was showing you how much I loved you because I bought you flowers. Well, 
those were pretty, but that's not really filling my cup, right? And you have to kind of realize what that other person's love language is. If you haven't read that book, The Five Love Languages, I think everybody should or find the quiz online. Oh, I think it's very valuable. Yes, absolutely. And I don't even care if people do money separate or together. I kind of think that we need to do that together, at least have the conversation. Yes. Well, when we come back from our break, we're going to continue our discussion with Penny Kid of Pennywise Financial Coaching, really diving into what our finances look like post-divorce and the mythology that nothing's going to change because we're here to tell you lot is going to change. Stay with us. Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. Before you call the lawyer, call the Good Divorce Coach. Give your family the gift of working with a certified divorce coach, a co-parenting specialist, and a mediator. Karen McNinney has the knowledge and skills to guide you through the full divorce journey before, during, and after. It's one thing to get divorced. It's another to be divorced. The Good Divorce Coach will teach you and your partner how to be divorced with less drama, less destruction, and less debt. Visit thegooddivorcecoach.com to get in touch with Karen. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to The Good Divorce Show with Karen McNinney. Have a question for Karen or her guests? Join us on the show at 866-472-5788. That's 866-472-5788. Now, back to the show with Karen. Welcome back, listeners. So grateful that you're joining us today. This is such a valuable conversation, as it often is on The Good Divorce Show. But today we have with us Penny Kid. She is your Pennywise financial coach and has come through her own harrowing journey of getting out of debt, living debt-free today, um, and really sharing with us not only tools before divorce, if you're listening and you're thinking of ways that we could improve our marital household with our finances, individually, the things that we get caught up in when we're in the midst of the divorce and what we're fighting for and what may not matter in five days, five weeks, five years, Um, but also those of you who might be listening and you are thinking of repartnering, or maybe you're already in that stage and you're still working on that primary relationship with your co-parent or your former spouse, but also what you can be doing for yourself to really improve your financial health and stability. Welcome back to the show listeners and Penny. Thank you. It's fun. Will you walk us through a bit of your own journey as a starter and as you declare, you now live debt-free, including your mortgage. How old are you right now, Penny? Can I ask? I'll be 59. Okay. What a, what a gift. And you've already graduated two young adult children debt-free from college so that they can start their life stable. Right. But it didn't come overnight and it wasn't a fairy godmother showing up. No. What were some of the hard things that your household had to do and the choices you had to make in order 
to achieve that financial health? That's a good question. Um, I think the first thing was learning how to budget. I used to think that somehow if you just got the right budget, like you went up to the mountaintop and you came down with the budget, you would say, oh, we have the budget and we are going to live with this. And then I had this epiphany that it's not about one budget. It's about budgeting basically every paycheck because uh-huh. every paycheck changes and your life is different. And sometimes the kids need new shoes and sometimes the car breaks down and whatever. And trying to think of things as, okay, I drive a car. It's probably going to need new tires someday, or it's going to need some you know, maintenance. Or um, So even as I was paying off things, I had to learn to set money aside for those irregular expenses and trying to to take the tops off of the roller coaster and say, okay, let's try to get some normalcy so that our money stays a little consistent because that's the biggest thing. People come to me and go, yeah, I can't budget because I make an irregular income, but truly most of us have an irregular life. And if you happen to either be self-employed or you work commissions or you get bonuses or whatever, there's some irregular in almost everybody's money. Yes. I refer to it as sort of the lumpy lifestyle of money <laughs> exactly. and income. It's very yeah. lumpy. Yeah. And so and you have yet, to look at the bigger picture. Right. You don't just say, well, you know, I, I think we think of budgeting in terms of our bills, but that's not really a budget. A budget or a spending plan, as I like to call it, it is more intentional about how much are we going to spend on groceries? How much are we going to allow for eating out? How much do we need to set aside for vacation? When, you know, it's different between going to, Hawaii and seeing your mom across the country, but they're both going to cost money. And so by setting those aside and putting them into your spending plan, then when those things come, they're not such a big hit. You've, you've planned for those as a part of your, you know, Christmas is another great one. If you celebrate Christmas, well, that's a big expense one month of the year, but it's a whole lot easier if you would save for it 12 months of the year. My mom always tells a story of her mother. So my grandmother who literally lived by envelopes Yes, and she would cash the paycheck. And then there was an envelope for groceries with yep. cash in it and an envelope for, you know, clothes that would accrue over time so that, and when the money was no longer in the envelope that you were done. You stopped. Well, that's how we got out of debt. Actually, Karen, is we use the cash envelope system is we, you know, we still paid our, you know, cell phone bill and our mortgage through our checking account. But any of the miscellaneous spending, we pulled out in cash and put it in an envelope system. And now I, I use a different system that's more of a digital system um, called Cube Money. And oh, tell um, us about with that. A Q. Yeah, it's, a, it's phenomenal. Q-U-B-E. This money. is a great tool. And I'm going to remind our listeners that one of the first things that's going to happen, if you're sitting down with a lawyer, first, they're going to ask you about all of your money, mm-hmm. but then you also have to do a budget. Like, right. what are your expenses? And this idea that it isn't, and it's the same in the divorce coaching world. We don't call it a budget. We call it our plan spending, yeah. right? Our spending plan um, and how we're going to unfold that. So I walked through it with some people that were going through a divorce and it was, you know, they forget about things like the irregular, oh, I pay my taxes once a year or twice a year. I, you know, my license plates come due once a year. We have irregular things in our, and those are what derail people's plan. Like, ah, crap, it's $400 for my plates or whatever. Right. And so um, by the better you get at budgeting, so to speak, the less of those, you know, 
gut punches you get. And so, yeah, we started with cash envelopes and it was, you feel cash differently. I have to say that's why it works. And it's why it's so touted is because when you drop a $50 or hundred dollar bill down for dinner, you feel it versus you drop (laughs) the credit card, you go on about and you're having a conversation and you don't even know what you spent until you get the bill. And that's part of the awareness and the behavior change that I work with people around is like, pay attention to those things. Cause if you're going to get a fancy coffee every day, maybe it's adding up to more than you realized. And you look back and you spent $400 on coffee, but you can't remember where you went, you know? Mm. And so I I'm all about getting a fancy coffee now and then, but where does it fit into the rest of the plan? Right. And if you're paying 29% to visa for the credit card, you're, you know, that's where so much of our money is going when you carry debt is going to the interest. It's not even the thing you bought. It's the interest that you're burning. Right. So going from cash envelope, and I agree, we feel cash differently. Mm-hmm. And and tell us a little bit about Cube and and yeah. where people can find you. And yeah. you've got a, a link there on your website, um, some resources. I think I there's do. somebody out there who is taking notes right now. Yes. Well, I, I, I'm an affiliate for Q, but it's really just because I love them so much that they agree to give me a little commission when people buy through my link. So if you're going to check it out, check it out on my website, which is pennywisecoaching.com. And there's a tab up there that says cube money. Um, but the, the gist of cube is that it's a digital envelope system. You have an app on your phone that you can make up cubes that are little buckets, little envelopes, if you will, of money. And you can have everything from groceries to dining and entertainment. And then you can actually do bills through cube now. So you could have your Netflix bill and your cell phone bill and even your mortgage through right through cube. So it's affiliated with a bank. Choice Financial Bank is the FDIC insured bank and cube is the app that wraps around it. But you have to open your phone and open the envelope, if you will, the cube that says, okay, I'm at the grocery store. This is grocery spending. And you literally have a debit card that's attached to that. And you pay with that card and it pulls from that cube specifically. So if you had $100 and you spent 50, you see 50 left in that cube. So it's real-time accountability, which is what I love about it is you don't have to go document it later or put it in a spreadsheet. You just you can see, oh, I don't have money for shoes today. I better wait until I get paid. And I put some more money in that cube. And you you can eat set gold cubes for your vacations. And you can, um, you can have, if you buy the membership, which is about $78 a year, and it comes with two cards. So your companion, your partner could have a card and you can see in real time, oh, he just went and spent the clothing money. I guess I better wait. Or you get notifications as partners. Um, and then they have a new thing that's just recently come out with kids cards. So your children can actually have their own dedicated card and spending cubes. So you can teach your kids about how to spend wisely as well. So it's, it's multidimensional, but it's a fairly new system that has been, Mm -hmm. I've been following about five years. My daughter uses it almost exclusively for all her budgeting now and, it's really helped her with her expensive life in New York City to make sure she's not eating her rent, right? She can set it yes. aside. Yeah. It sounds brilliant. 
I love would it. probably dislike it because I'm going to open up and and it's going to say, you don't get to go out to dinner tonight, yeah. Karen. Yeah. There's a little bit of that, but it's also like, yeah, yeah I get to go out to dinner. You yeah, know, right. And I know that I'm, I'm within, I means. didn't screw up my plan. I had mm-hmm. a plan on budget day. Right. And don't let Friday night. I don't want to cook, get in the way of what your plan was last Monday, whatever. Oh yeah. <laughs> I really like Friday night restaurant. <laughs> I know. So you just plan it. And that's you where I think ahead. I differ from some of the other big name people on the radio is that they think you have to you have to sacrifice everything to win. And I just think you just need to be aware of it and you can choose when to sacrifice and how deep to make the cuts, but be realistic. I always tell people like, if they say, oh yeah, we're just not going to eat out. I'm like, really? Because I can pretty much guarantee there's going to be some day this week that I'm going to be like, yeah, I don't want to cook. And you know, we need to have a plan. So be realistic with yourself and don't, it's not about judgment and shame. And I think sometimes we go from, you know, what is it? Couch to 5k. I'm going to run this 5k because, but I've never walked around the block. Well, come on, let's learn the skill and practice it over time. And that's where I think any good behavior change, you have to practice over and over and over again. And you do it till you die and you try to, you know, eat healthy every day, but you're going to have days that you eat junk food, right? So I liken it to any other really good behavior change. It's just, and I like cubes, visibility for both you and a partner where it's, you don't have to go home and wait until you balance your checkbook. It's in your face and your wallet. Cause pretty much you always have your phone. Most of our society does. That's so true. Yeah. And I hear that social work wisdom coming mm-hmm. through behavior change, little micro actions consistently over time. Right. That is the only way we do it. Yeah. You have an interesting, um, a study, if you will, from a set of clients who had divorced. And, you know, one of the myths is I'm divorced and I'm done with them. Mm-hmm. But that's not really true if you still share children. You know, that's right. my first husband and I, and I always have to remind people there's only been one and he's still alive, but he's always yeah. my first. And we're raising children together and now we're launching kids to school. So it's FAFSA, it's college conversation. We're back in the money world yeah. after a decade of not having to be in the money world. Mm -hmm. And there was a couple that divorced, but was so dedicated to making sure that their children had stable household and a stable financial foundation in both of their homes. What did that couple choose to do? That was interesting. I've only worked with her, but in the process of us working together, her finances were super tight and she had racked up a lot of debt, had one of her children that had a significant mental health issue and, and had a lot of healthcare needs and mental health treatment, which as I know from my olden days, those can get up very expensive. And she cashed in a lot of her retirement plan to try to save her child, which most of us would do. Right. And then, um, but she and her ex have become more amicable and are on a good page as far as parenting their kids And she wound up moving from one town over to the next town over to be closer to him. And actually, I think lives literally next door to him now. And, you know, she still has her own place. But this way, the kids literally can go from one house to the next by walking out the back door. And um, there was there was a lot of as as her finances were healing and we were trying to figure out what did he owe her to pay her back for this medical bill or, you know, they do the whole 
I bought the kids shoes. So you owe me half and mm-hmm. I did paid for this event at school and you, I owe you half. And so we were working on a plan to kind of create a system. Now cube would have been fairly ideal for that. Um, I just couldn't quite get her on board with that, but um, you know, to have one bank account or one something that they both contributed to so that instead of this pay me back, I owe you blah, 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 which was kind of getting to be a pain in the neck, but he was very willing to, you know, pay for half of whatever the choices were. And then it got to be, since they were so close to each other, he would come over for dinner and then, you know, it was like just easier to like, Oh, let's just cook at one house instead of two. And so then the groceries and things got a little muddy about, well, do we buy groceries together? And, you know, I, I don't know that there's one way fits all for everybody, but it was really nice to see them go, Oh yeah, we can do this part together. These are my expenses. These are ours, you know, because these are the, the kids and, you know, it just became like a line item, basically how, how much do we need for that? And then whatever he would pay her back became, you know, at miscellaneous income essentially for us to budget. And then we'd be like, okay, cool. Then where's that going to go? And, um, it's an extraordinary story. We need to bring this story. couple. I would yeah. love to have them on the show to talk about right? their experience and um, it, reminding all of our listeners, those stories are out there. They're in your neighborhood. They're in your community. Sadly, Hollywood and the media just like to keep advertising bad divorces, but there's lots of other ways to do it. And I don't think they started out that way either. Mm-hmm. I think they went through some, I didn't know them when, but just from what she had told me, they, it wasn't always this way, but they've finally come to that place of this is what's better for our kids. Yes. And it, it that takes time and healing. And we always say here at the Good Divorce Show, it's never too late to have That's a right. good divorce. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and time is a great elixir. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Well, listeners, we have one more segment. We're going to dive in uh, to a deeper conversation with financial coach, Penny Kid of Pennywise Coaching. You can find her online. And when we return, we'll hear a story that some of you may be able to relate to when you have a partner who has completely taken control of the finances and it can leave you really quite vulnerable. So stay tuned and we'll be right back with The Good Divorce Show. Want to see what Voice America is up to behind the scenes? Follow us on TikTok at Voice America Talk Radio. Planning for college? Tune in to Getting In, a college coach conversation for tips, techniques, and insider perspectives. Hosted by Bright Horizons College Coach, a team of former admissions and financial aid officers, the show takes a deep dive on subjects such as choosing the best essay topic, negotiating merit aid, and navigating the common app. Listeners will learn what really goes into college acceptance decisions from the experts who used to make them. New episodes drop Thursdays on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. 
Welcome back to The Good Divorce Show with Karen McNinney. Have a question for Karen or her guests? Join us on the show at 866-472-5788. That's 866-472-5788. Now, back to the show with Karen. Hello and welcome back. I'm Karen and I'm here today with Penny Kidd. You can find her at pennywisecoaching.com. She is our financial coach here talking with your divorce coach. And we think we should go into business together and you should always call your coach before you call your lawyer um, so that we can help you uh, relaunch a life, a life that is still abundant and stable and and really, as you were saying, has the the, the beauty and the abundance that you deserve. Mm. Welcome back to the show, Penny. Thanks. Not every story, though, has sort of a rosy glow. And you have certainly worked with clients um, that have kind of run into the the challenges. I'd like to hear a cautionary tale of the perils of not being conscious about your money or just handing it over to your partner blindly. Yeah, unfortunately, I've worked with more clients after the divorce, and they come to me often women, but not only, but it feels like the destruction aftermath kind of thing and what we can do to do the cleanup. But I did have a couple that I was coaching, and he had originally set it up and and felt like she was the problem spender that he couldn't get her under control. And she was, you know, she was the problem. And as I found working with them, she had nothing to do with the money. She He gave her a certain allowance and he made very good money, but couldn't seem to understand how expensive it was to raise four kids and keep a house afloat. And, you know, she would admit I've probably done some overspending because I don't really know how to plan and budget and whatever, but um, she didn't really have any, any say so on the money. I had one of those, what I consider to be my social work sort of intuition that I had some fear that there was something going on in that relationship. And when I came to the next appointment to ask to try to find out if if there was any safety concerns, I found out that there had been a domestic violence incident the night before. Um, wow. The police were called and he was arrested and um taken away and the kids, you know, they had to have protective orders and stuff like that. And so um, while she was grateful that she was safe and she wasn't hurt, she also was left with no access to any money because everything was in his name only. And other than she got to stay in the house and he, he was eventually ordered or maybe even on temporary orders, he was ordered to give her a certain amount of substance, you know, child support type money to keep the house afloat, but it took better part of a year to go through a divorce and she didn't have any money to even hire an attorney. She literally had no money access to her name because everything she had allowed him to, you know, I don't work. I just raise the kids. I don't, you know, whatever he decides he's good with money, those kind of things that put her in this predicament of really being victimized after he left where she so could the house was in his name, yeah. all the bank accounts, yeah. like she literally couldn't access she couldn't, and had no ownership. A dime practically. Life. I can't remember if she maybe had a little in, in cash or she maybe had a little in her checking or something like that, but she didn't work. She was raising the children. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, she, we, we did a lot of my, my social work skills kicked in a lot and we had yes. to try to find you know, what could you qualify for? What can you get to, to keep yourself afloat? And 
you know, then it was at the mercy of what he chose to give her or thought was reasonable until such time. I mean, I think, and you know this better than I do about how long it takes to go through a divorce typically, right? The the and court it dates depends, and, but it, it's yeah. not a 30 day deal typically. Yeah. yeah. And so by the time you get the right orders and the, you know, the mediation and the agreements and all the things, right. Especially if one party doesn't want to be divorced. Right. Right. And they can drag their feet more and, you know, make it harder. So everything from, I don't even remember vehicles and she wanted to move out of state and he didn't want her to move out of state where her support system was in a different state. And um, she did, I think she was able to borrow some money from a family member so she could put a retainer on an attorney who was very compassionate, trying to help her do as much of it as she could on her own with just some consulting instead of some attorneys who you pay to do every communication and everything. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, it was, it was painful to be a part of. And yet she was so grateful to have me as somebody in her corner that could at least talk her through things and, give her ideas and resources. So that's a scenario where spouse, whether it's male or female, you know, so there's one concern where they have power and control of all the money and they take it and it's all their name. But I've also heard these horror stories where there's debt Mm -hmm. that is only in one name and somebody's going to get stuck with it. So what have you learned and what advice would you give us when it comes to the debt part? Yeah. Unfortunately, a lot of times when you're married, You just think, oh, well, they've got better credit. So this one will sign for the car, sign for the credit cards. We'll put all the stuff on this one card and, and it's all in one person's name. And then you go to separate your assets and your debt and it it's all in one person's name. I think typically in a divorce, they will say, okay, this is our debt and this is my debt, whatever. So the attorneys and the judge can kind of figure all that out. But I think the the concern I've seen and my worry is that oftentimes, typically women, but I'm sure it goes both ways, one person won't have any credit in their own name. And so they might be a signer on the other account, but they've never gotten a card or a loan or whatever in their own name. So they don't really have a credit history, which is hard to build and takes time. It doesn't just happen overnight. You know, mm-hmm. as we have young adults and trying to help them build good credit, it, it you don't just wake up when you're 18 and all of a sudden have an 800 score, right? Mm-hmm. And so um, I see that a lot with couples and maybe all that debt where they haven't been very good with their money to begin with. And so their credit score is very low. And that's at a time when they're trying to maybe purchase a new house or do something that you really would hope you have good credit so that you're not being taken advantage of. So one thing I think that we all should do is build build a financial trail in our own name. Even if you're doing money together, I think that's great for you to have joint accounts and stuff, but be a little aware of who's opening what cards and how many and where the debt is. And because the other thing I've found is that even if the courts come in and say, okay, you're splitting all the debt 50-50 and you know, they make all the decisions about who gets what part of the retirement plan that somebody else had and some of those are literally like cash out this much of the 401k and she gets that percentage or whatever. Mm -hmm. But when the debt is separated, if it literally 
is in both of your names, the credit card companies don't really care that you went through a divorce. They just want their payment. And so if she is expected to pay the debt and it's in his name and she quits paying it, then it impacts him and his credit. And, Mm -hmm. you know, the credit card companies don't care that you have a divorce decree and that he was supposed to pay it. They don't care. And they can't do anything. And they can't do anything. You know, make it happen. So, and I, I've had clients who've run into this and they're like, oh, they just walked away from that credit card yeah. debt we had together. And now it's all on my shoulders. And if I don't handle it, it's my credit that goes on in the me. toilet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So I would, I think, you know, I haven't been down that path, but I think if, if I had to advise somebody in the thick of it, I would try to get it as clean as possible in the process to buy out like you know, to literally be okay, if this is my debt, then you've given me this much cash or some other mm-hmm. way so that you're not thinking they're going to pay off the car because, you know, or the car gets repoed mm-hmm. or whatever. Mm-hmm. I just think it's fraught for a lot of problems when you're just anticipating they're going to, because what, you know, either they are malicious or they just had life throw curveballs at them and they yep. can't do it anymore. It might not have been malicious, mm-hmm. but doesn't really matter at the end of the day if it's impacting you and you've been divorced two years still is it's on still your, your shoulders responsibilities yeah. but and we're finding this more also with couples because the the housing market is so insane mm-hmm. and so rather than refinancing a home in one person's name they're leaving right. both names on the on the title yeah. wait you can change the, the title but not the loan yes and, and so then we have to write up all sorts of paperwork. And again, because if someone doesn't pay, if okay. they default, yeah. you're along for the ride. Yeah. And our housing market is really holding people hostage to either not being able to refinance and have their own loan or that they have to keep living in the same house because who can afford to go some, all, all sorts of very challenging things coming at our divorce families. It's, it's heartbreaking. Well, and that leads me to think about like one of the other big problems I've seen over and over again is when people think about, you know, okay, we're getting a divorce and we don't want to impact the kids as much as possible. So I'm going to keep the house and he's going to move out. and he's going to pay me X. Well, you still have all of those hidden expenses of a home ownership and, and you've cut your income potentially in half or more. And then I don't think people realize how hard it is to keep, you know, the grass watered and the fence and the roof and the, all those things that are not the mortgage. Right. And I've seen too many times where women kept the house and later on lost the house because they just could not keep up with it. Right. And I just think as much as it's got to be painful, sometimes maybe we rip off the Band-Aid and say, we're both going to have to downsize. And, and it's not wrong to rent. I just, I feel like I've learned more and more recently that renting is not evil. I think our American dream of owning a house with a white picket fence is is needing to shift. And sometimes I heard another guy on a podcast the other day say, at least with rent, it's the most you're going to pay with a mortgage. It's the least you're going to pay when you own the house, <laughs> you know, because there's all of those hidden things when you're the owner taxes and, and it needs a new, we don't roof know what the market's going to do. Oh yeah. Absolutely. When I want to sell, it's the markets down or whatever. Right. So I think if, if I were to help somebody look at that is to realize that your children are going to love you if you provide all the other ways of supporting them and the house is just 
the house. Right. It's bricks and mortar. And what happens inside is what's really important. And there are sacrifices. And I tell my clients, like, we're going to, everybody's going to have some sucky sacrifices. It's going to suck. There's just, things are going to be lost, but it will, you will recover. There is a new story. Yeah. Really so many pieces of wisdom. Um, This idea of building your own credit independent from your spouse, being engaged in your finances so that you're very conscious Um, even if you're not touching the buttons and paying the bills, Mm -hmm. uh, utilizing cube as a a budgeting tool, again, not handing over your power, um, Mm -hmm. to your spouse at any time, really looking towards the partnership. I'm just curious where people can hear more from you, Penny kid, our penny wise coach on finances, tell our listeners all of the resources you have available and where to find you. The best way to find me is on my website and you can learn more about me. And we're actually in the redesign phase of the website, but it's, it still shows a lot. And there's some great testimonials on there under the success stories. If you'll look at those, hear other people's story about how they've changed their finances, but that's pennywisecoaching.com. Um, I'm on LinkedIn under Penny Kid. I have a Facebook page, Pennywise Financial Coaching. I have a mm-hmm. YouTube channel. Um, that you Mm -hmm. can find um, and you can link to that from my website. And then I've started something new called a Marco Polo Sharecast that people can join and it's public and anybody can join along and, and watch little one to five minute videos once or twice a week, whenever I drop them in there and they can engage with me personally and find out that I'm just a real person like everybody else. And I just want to improve the world one person at a time with their money and um, help that wisdom happen. So um, when you go on my website, you can you can sign up for my newsletter. I do a monthly newsletter with a um, some weekly tips coming hopefully soon to get um, where I can just drop little nuggets and encouragement on people on the regular. So I just want to encourage people to start somewhere, right? And Neat. you don't you don't wake up perfect at this. I don't think I'm perfect at this. You just it's you know I feel like it's it goes back to my days of working with alcoholism and drug addiction. Is like every day you think I'm going to be a little I'm going to try to be good with my money today. And that's sometimes all you can do. It's one day at a time. Just today. And beyond all those resources, of course, people can engage you for one-on-one coaching. Yep. And I think there's a lot of people coming out the other side of divorce who would really benefit from your services, your wisdom, your insight, and your beautiful spirit. It's been such a delight. And a special shout out to Grant Axton, your brother, my my college mate and longtime friend, who put us together. And a reminder to all our listeners, you may have someone in your life who would be a wonderful addition to the Good Divorce Show conversation. Um, by all means, get them in touch with us here at the show. Once again, Pennywise Coaching. And remember, listeners, everything will be okay in the end. And if it's not okay, it's not the end. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Good Divorce Show. We hope today's episode has helped you find a kinder, more sensible, and less expensive path through the divorce journey. Until we talk again, have a beautiful week.